If you're here for the first time with us today, I'm so thankful that you chose to worship with us. Um, you know, today we're finishing up John 15. We've been going through uh, the book of John for almost a year now, and we kind of came back and we're looking at John, uh, this upper room with Jesus uh, up in the upper room with his disciples. And so today we're finishing John 15. We're seeing the last fruit that's connected to abiding in Jesus. And quite frankly, I'm not really sure it's going to encourage you or not. Um, and I say that, and I say that while believing our time today, it can actually be very encouraging. Um, just because of how honest it really is with us. You know, one of the many reasons I'm convinced that Christianity is true is simply because it just paints a picture of real life. Um, the Bible just gives us a really honest take of how life works. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't try to hide anything. It just tells us about real life. You know, the past two weeks, and we've been going through John 15, and so far we've seen what it means to abide in Jesus uh, and to be connected to the vine of Jesus. You know, the beginning of John 15, we focused on abiding and the importance of remaining connected to Christ and what it means to draw nutrients from the life of Jesus and how remaining connected to Christ leads us to a fullness of joy, not because our life is awesome, but because Jesus is joy himself, because Jesus is the author of joy. And we're, when we're connected to the creator of joy, drawing from his nutrients and drawing from the DNA of Christ, uh, and then when we abide, we find joy from Jesus. And we talked about the pruning process and how those that are connected to Christ and go, th go through seasons of pruning for the purpose of bearing more fruit, uh, which was just another honest take of how life really works. Uh, and then last week, we looked at a bunch of different fruits that come from us when we're connected to Christ, both personal fruits and those, those fruits that are more, more others-oriented. And those personal fruits are things like growing in Bible engagement and prayer and obedience and growing in our love for Jesus and our joy from Jesus. We saw the fruits of abiding in Jesus, how they also help us to go deeper into abiding. And the more we engage in the Word, and the more we engage in prayer, the more we grow in our love for Jesus. We just kind of saw how all of these fruits were all connected into a, uh, and they help fuel a deeper abiding. And then it helps fuel more fruit from us. We also saw last week when we abide in Jesus, the resulting fruit, it also benefits others, like we've said. Like when we're connected to the vine of Jesus, the DNA and the nutrients that we draw from, as we saw, are sacrificial love and an ongoing pursuit of others and a united friendship. Like when we're, when we're drawing, when we're connected to Jesus, we're drawing from love himself. And when we rest in Christ, we become more like him, and the result leads us to love one another. And so like we've seen, we've seen uh, when we abide in Jesus, it affects our vertical relationship with God, it affects our horizontal relationship with others, but today, the last fruit that Jesus talks about is how our abiding in Jesus affects our relationship with the world. And just like we said last week, in order for grapes to be produced, they have to be connected to a grapevine. Like we can't get grapes from an apple tree. We can't get oranges from a grapevine. No, when we're connected to the vine of Jesus, we get the fruits that come from Jesus. And so today, Jesus is just very honest with us and the disciples as he's uh, at this last supper with his disciples before his death. And about, we're, we're seeing the last fruits, uh, this last fruit that comes for those who abide in Jesus. I want you to look at verse 18 just to get a little dose of what Jesus is uh, going to teach us today. This is what he says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I mean, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I mean, that's our text today. Last week, we got, talked about, we got to talk about love and how Jesus leads us to love one another. And this week, Jesus is just blatantly honest with us and tells us, as he finishes John 15, that when we abide in Jesus, the world will hate us. 
You know, when I, when I first read this, I really liked that if that's in there um, that our translate puts in. Uh, it kind of gives a small glimpse of hope that just maybe the world won't hate me because, I mean, really, who wants to be hated? Nobody in their right mind has a longing to be hated. But the more I studied this, the more I realized it's more of a, like a certain if. More like when the world hates you, remember that it hated Jesus first. And this wasn't planned at all today, but I found it somewhat providential that our text today fell on this July 4th weekend, celebrating our independence as a country that gives us a lot of religious freedoms that in many ways keeps us from a lot of different types of persecution that happens around the world uh, that we'll talk about today. I mean, as serving as a missionary overseas, I can attest that, yes, being in America, we have a lot to be thankful for, while at the same time, what we see from our text today is that we quickly realize that our American freedoms don't protect Christians from being hated by the world. And along those same lines, what a quick look at a history of missions will teach us is that the persecuted churches around the world throughout history have seen the fastest spread of Christianity. And so I'm certainly not... <laughs> advocating for persecution and hatred from the world, that would be crazy and silly. But what I am saying is that we should expect it, and we should be prepared for it. And Jesus, in the upper room teaching, is doing just that for the disciples, which leads us to our main idea. Abiding in Jesus leads to rejecting, rejection from the world. This is the final fruit of abiding in John 15. This is like part three of abiding. So when we abide in Jesus, it affects us personally, it affects our relationship with other Christians, and it also affects our relationship with the world. So as Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates us, know that it hated him before it hated us. And I said at the beginning, I'm not really sure if this is going to encourage you or not, but I really do think it can and will in some ways encourage us. Because it really helps us to manage our expectations and to be prepared because when we do face rejection or hatred from the world for being a, a Christ follower, Jesus shows us in our text that we're not crazy or weird, but rather it's to be expected. And let's make this clear, okay? This is not speaking of being rejected from other Christ followers. No, Jesus speaks against that. He calls for unity in the church. Jesus already told us that we're to love one another and, being hate, and hating and being hated by another Christ follower. It's not from the Lord. No, when Jesus speaks of the world, he is speaking of those who are not Christians. This is very common Bible language and that refers to those who are outside of the faith and who have rejected Christ. Meaning, if someone has rejected Christ, we should expect them to reject us also. Because as Christians, we know that Christ is in us and is, is driving our life. And so that said, let's go ahead and look at our text uh, for today. We're going to read the entire thing, starting in verse 18 of John 15. We're going to go all the way to 16.4. The world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to, to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And so today I'm going to use an outline that was derived from a commentary called Christ-Centered Preaching. You know, I don't do this often, but I did find this outline from this commentary really helpful, and so I want to use it today. Um, and the outline that the commentary gives us, um, there are two questions. Number one, why does the world hate Christians? And number two, how should Christians respond? And so as we go back through this text, just a few verses at a time, I hope that this will encourage us. Uh, but what I want to be careful of as we go through this, uh, just to bring this up, is the spirit of pride and maybe self-righteousness that can easily come out of something like this because this text very much has uh, an us versus them mentality. Yes, Jesus shows the distinction between the Christians, uh, the Christian and the world, and so we're going to do the same thing today. But notice that Jesus doesn't prop up the Christian that would then lead to righteousness, self-righteousness and pride. No, he does it to prepare the Christian. So as soon as we gain a mindset of, uh, that we're better than the world because of something that's inside of us and ourselves, we've kind of lost the spirit of the text because what we know is that we Christians, we have the same sin inside of us that the world has. Like, our sin is not more holy than the world's sin. No, our sin is still sin. The only difference between the Christian and the world is Jesus. It's forgiveness that's found in Christ. And so, yes, this text is to prepare us for persecution, but it's not to puff us up towards pride and self-righteousness. Because, again, at the end of the day, the only thing that sets us apart is Jesus, who looked at us in our sin, and he rescued us out of our sin and unbelief. And so if you're not a Christian here today, or maybe you're exploring the faith, I think you should find this really interesting. And maybe ask, why is it that someone would be willing to be hated and persecuted and possibly even killed for their faith. Like, why would someone endure this? Uh, and let me tell you, it's not simply because Jesus tells us in the Bible to endure it. But yes, that's true. We want to endure it because Jesus commands us to endure it. But the reason is far more than that. Uh, the reason is because Jesus is worth it. These disciples, these true followers of Christ have seen and experienced and know something about Jesus that is so great that it's worth dying for. And I think you should maybe, we should maybe ask ourselves, like, what is it about Jesus that is worthy of enduring hate and persecution for the world just by following Jesus? Like, why is Jesus this great? You know, it's one thing to give a simple nod to faith in Jesus, but we must agree that it's entirely different to be willing to give up your entire life for it. So that's just a little something to chew on. And one last thing before we uh, jump in for the Christian. Maybe you're thinking, it doesn't really seem like the world hates me. Because maybe we automatically go to the extremes of the more heavily persecuted around the world in places like the Middle East where people are literally killed for following Jesus. Or in some places like Central Asia or South Asia, where people are thrown in jail or disowned or lose jobs or kicked out of families or blacklisted out of countries for being Christians. 
Uh, And those certainly happen, and this should remind us to pray for them today, to pray for the persecuted church around the world. In our passage today, it absolutely prepares us and those around the world for those extremes. Yes, Jesus was preparing his disciples to be prepared to die for their faith. And so in many ways, yes, our text tells us that persecution and hardship will come from the world to those who follow Christ. But I don't want us to think that because we're not being physically tortured or being blacklisted, or being kicked out of our families, or because we're not thrown in jail for following Jesus, that this, does, this text doesn't apply to us. Because yes, we do have religious freedoms here in America that protect us from many of these extremes, but let's remember that hate, what Jesus speaks of today, it doesn't always manifest itself in the same way. Jesus said we'll be hated by the world. He did not say we would all physically be tortured and persecuted. And so yes, mental and emotional and relational hate from the world will come to us for being Christians. And no, it may not mean we will die for our faith, but it could mean we get made fun of or left out or maligned for our faith. Y'all, as soon as I started following Jesus as a high schooler, trying to really live out my faith, I had to make some really tough friend choices because apparently getting drunk every weekend uh, probably wasn't the best thing for me to do. And because God was changing me, in some ways, I was maligned in very small ways by my friends for not partying with them anymore. Like, they gave me a hard time, picked on me some, just kind of jokingly called me names. Like, it didn't bother me a ton because God was changing me, but it made it really clear that I needed new friends. And also, right out of college, my very first full-time job, week one on the job, day one on the job, my coworkers were trying to get me to look at inappropriate magazines with them. Because I wouldn't, I was known as the uptight Christian boy at work. And texts like our, our text today really, uh, were really helpful for me during those times. You know, I've got plenty of examples like this from school and work and sports, and none of them were super crazy. I mean, none of them put my life at risk or caused me to lose my job, but uh, those small things still happened. And I'm sure many of you have similar stories, maybe uh, bigger than others, maybe some bigger than others, maybe with your friends or family, but our text today warns us and it prepares us to expect to be hated by the world and that we can't be both loved by the world and in Christ uh, at the same time. Like if we're following Christ, we have a choice to make. We either dilute the gospel and the Bible and our Christianity and our obedience to Jesus in order for the world to like us Or we follow Christ and accept that the world may not like us at times. In New City, this is hard and not fun, but this is real life. Because, let's just be honest, the gospel is offensive. It just is. When we speak of a real heaven and a real hell, and we speak of how our sin results in us going to hell, and the only way to heaven is by believing in Jesus, and that's it, that Jesus is the only way. When we say Jesus is the only way, like, that's not super popular. It's offensive especially to those that don't receive Jesus. And so we may not be physically persecuted, but we better believe that if we follow Christ, there will be some sort of rejection and backlash from the world uh, in various different forms. Like This is just reality, especially if we're staying true to our faith. And so I want to go back through our text a couple verses at a time, and let's just answer our first question. Number one, why does the world hate Christians? I know I've mentioned Uh, a few things about this, but from our text, I want to show us five things that Jesus tells us as to why the world hates Christians. 
And just to point this out, like hate is one of those words that is often used pretty loosely, saying things like, like I hate that person or I, I, I hate that sports team, and then followed by something like I hate licorice. And y'all, you know, it's the absolute world's worst candy. <laughs> like whoever came up with the candy of licorice needs to get their taste buds checked. Um, it's just terrible. And so although many people often use this word loosely, Jesus certainly does not. And I just want to say that if it were up to me, I wouldn't use the language of hate. Like, that's not a really uh, popular word. It's a really strong word, but that's what Jesus uses. And so we're going to use it. Look again at verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So why does the world hate Christians? Well, Jesus tells us. The world hates Christians because the world hates Jesus. And I get it. Not everybody that rejects the claims of Jesus would overtly say that they hate Jesus. Like, I get it. There are many that would say, Jesus was a nice guy. I don't hate him. I just don't think Jesus is the only way to heaven. And let's think about this for a second. Because the entire reason Jesus came to this earth was to live and die so that we could believe in him, so that we could be with God forever. Like Jesus literally came down to earth with the sole mission and purpose to rescue people from their sin. And for us to then say that we like Jesus but don't like his claims, which was like the sole purpose for his existence, would be like me saying to you, like, I really like you as a person. I just don't like it when you talk. <laughs> like, I respect you, but when you open your mouth and speak, the things that you say, they just really bother me. Like, I really appreciate that you're super nice to me, and you like, I like this whole, like, loving others stuff, but your whole identity and, like, your whole value system and your whole reason for existing, I'm just not a big fan of all of that. Like, if I said that to you, you would think, no, that's just a politically correct way of saying you'd rather me not be me. Like, let's not forget that Jesus came into the temple, turned over tables, and told all the religious leaders that they were following the devil and that their view of the Sabbath was just totally wrong. Like, let's not forget that when Jesus is teaching them these things, he's about an hour or two from being betrayed, arrested, beaten, whipped, and hung on a cross to be tortured and die. Church, the world hated Jesus. And still today, the world still hates Jesus. Because the claims of Jesus, they're offensive. A person either follows Jesus or rejects Jesus like there's no middle ground. The claims of Jesus are either, either really, really good news or really, really bad news. Like there's no indifference to Jesus. It, there can't be. Like the scriptures are very clear. Jesus gives life to some and brings death to many. It's either eternal life in heaven or hell, and Jesus is the only difference between a person being in heaven or hell. Y'all, that's really offensive, but it's true. And as soon as Jesus stops being offensive, we've moved into theological liberalism and moved away from true Christianity. And the mere fact that Jesus was and still is hated for these claims and that we believe them as true is cause for us being hated by the world. Christian, if someone in the world hates you or rejects you or is mean to you for following Christ, know that it's Jesus first that they're rejecting. And we'll get to this more later, but our response is to pray and to plead for their salvation and show them the grace and love of Jesus. Like we both share the gospel and display the gospel. 
because they're in desperate need of grace and for God to open up their eyes to see the good news of the gospel? Because we do, in fact, have really good news. Like we've been rescued from our sin, from a loving Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Like we have really hopeful, encouraging news worth sharing and worth living our life for. But let's keep going. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus here is showing that Christians are not of the world. And if we were of the world, we would look a lot like the world. And if we looked a lot like the world, the world would love us as its own. Meaning, when we abide in Christ and we're connected to the vine of Jesus, we're going to look different from the world. Like God's going to change us and give us different desires. And in turn, we're going to look very different than the world. Which leads us to our next answer as to why the world hates Christians. Let it be. The world hates Christians because we're different from the world. Again, the first day uh, on my job out of college, as I said, my, my coworkers found it really strange that a 22-year-old guy didn't want to uh, look at inappropriate magazines. They also found it strange that I wasn't living and sleeping with my fiance before we got married, even today. Like, we've made it very clear to our kids that our family is just going to be different. We're not going to be able to say things that our friends can say. We're going to have different rules uh, with TV and tablets and phones. Like, we're just going to be different. And oftentimes, because we're different, I think many Christians can attest that those around us think of us differently. Maybe they treat us differently. And I can't help but think about all those around the world that have left the religious traditions of their family and are now facing an entirely new way of life. And in turn, making them different. And it causes tensions. Like, it would be way easier for us and for those around the world to just keep our old ways of life and not have to deal with obeying Jesus' new way of life. But when we abide in Jesus and follow his ways, it just looks strange to the world. And in turn, can cause a form of hate or friction between us and the world. Because in doing so, although we may not be overtly saying this to those around us, we're saying with our new way of life that the old was wrong and our new way is right. And this can be offensive. Like being different from the world is just part of being a Christian. By no means am I saying like we need to be Amish and not use electricity. But what I am saying is that when we follow Christ... We can't have one foot following the world and one foot following Christ because they're going in different directions. New City, we should, be, we should expect to be different from the world and to experience some sort of hate because of it. But let's keep going. Look at verses 20 and 21. Remember the, world that I, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So Jesus here, he's referring back a few chapters. He's reminding them that he said a servant is not greater uh, than its master, showing us that because they persecuted Jesus, the world will also persecute uh, Christians because Christians serve Jesus. And so why does the world hate Christians? Well, the world hates Christians because we serve the God the world hates. And so yes, we've seen that the world hates Jesus, but we, we take it a step further here because we also serve Jesus. Just, this, is like, uh, this is just like any fan of a sports team. You know, we had a guy at our church. He was a huge Hurricanes fan. Like, he was just like the friendliest guy. Uh, but he went to a Hurricanes lightning hockey game, 
uh, wearing a Hurricanes jersey. And he was just treated like total garbage, not because of him, but because of the team that he was associated with. And the same thing is true for those who follow Jesus. The world will hate us simply because we serve the one the world hates. You know, it's one thing to read the Bible and to pray and to find personal purpose from Jesus, but then when we take it a step further and join God in his mission, who, that is to seek and to save the lost, that causes us to be hated. Like when we engage in evangelism and mission, pleading with people to believe in Christ, it puts people at odds with us because, again, the gospel, it's offensive. The gospel to the hearer, it's either really good news and incredibly freeing, like hearing of the forgiveness of sin and hearing about grace, like uh, that's really good news, or it's really offensive because it puts, it puts people at odds. And quite honestly, when the gospel stops being offensive by its exclusivity and we're afraid to offend people with the gospel, it may mean we've lost the gospel. Now, please, I'm not, please hear me. I'm not saying we should be mean and rude and offensive (laughs) just for the sake of being offensive. No, we're we're called to display the gospel as we proclaim the gospel. Like nothing in our text today calls us to be belligerent, mean, or rude evangelists. No, we're called to be patient and gentle and kind and slow to anger and self-controlled as we share the hard news that Jesus is the only way to be with God forever. And when we seek to obey Christ in his wisdom and not the world and the world's wisdom, we must know, again, it's offensive. When we seek to serve Christ over the government, it's offensive to the government. When we seek to serve Christ over coaches or employees or friends, it's offensive. When we seek to serve Christ over families or parents or those that we love, it's offensive. And so why does the world hate Christians? Because we follow and serve Jesus and not the world. Let's look at verses 22 and 24. Let's keep going. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. So Jesus said, if he had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty. Which means, because he came and showed them their sin, now they they were guilty of sin. And so get this. They were not guilty of their sin, and then Jesus came, which then made them guilty. And so if he didn't come and do his works, they would not be guilty. So what what did Jesus do? Jesus exposed their sin, which leads us to letter D. The world hates Christians because Jesus exposes sin. This one's really hard, because when someone is exposed of wrongdoing, it doesn't like feel really good, like being found guilty in a court of law. Uh, is not the verdict a person pays a lawyer uh, to end up with. And when someone's sin is exposed, it doesn't feel good. It's not fun. You know what Jesus does? Like Jesus comes in and shines a light on the ugliness of sin that's kept in the dark. Sin is ugly. And Jesus shines a light on it and exposes it, the ugliness of it. Like he holds a mirror up to the world that reveals this ugliness of sin and the world doesn't like it. And when Christ is inside of us and when we proclaim Christ with our words and when we display Christ with our actions, it's by nature, it puts a mirror up to the world and the world doesn't like it. Because what we know as followers of Jesus is that what is okay to the world is not okay to Christ. And when we as Christ followers make decisions to obey Jesus and not the world, it can expose those who obey the world. 
Again, please make sure we understand that I'm not saying we go around calling out people's sin all the time. Yes, there's a time and a place for accountability, and yes, sin does need to be exposed, but before we show people their sin, may we first lovingly share with them the grace of the gospel. But what I am saying is that when we make decisions that seek to honor the Lord in our relationships or at work or at school or for the entertainment or any part of our life, when we choose to live differently, like when we abstain from certain things, when we do that, it innately shines a light on those that don't. For example, if you're a student and everybody in your class cheats and cheating is just the social norm, but you decide not to cheat and others find out about it, it can bring conviction to those people. Or if you're in a relationship and you're not sleeping around with your boyfriend or girlfriend and others around you are doing so, uh, it can shine a light on their life. Or if it works and you're not cutting corners when everyone else is, like you're shining a light on their sin, not because you're calling it out, but because your life shines a mirror into their life. And the result could be just not being liked or being hated or being rejected. Again, sin likes to be kept in the dark. And when Jesus is proclaimed and displayed, it puts a light on the ugliness of it. But then lastly, for this first point, look at verse 25. But the world that is written, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus was hated by many just, just without a reason. Like he says he was hated without a cause. Meaning there was no reason for Jesus to be hated. Except for maybe one reason. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus was hated without a cause, not because of what he did, not because of Jesus, but because of who he was against. Jesus was hated without a cause because there is an enemy that placed hate in their heart, leading us to letter E. The world hates Christians because the enemy placed hate in their hearts. You know, sometimes the world hates Christians for literally no reason at all on our part, other than the reality of sin and spiritual warfare. Sometimes there's hate in the heart of people, not because of us, but simply because they're ruled by the enemy, that are, they're abiding in the author of hate. And the byproduct is being hated. It's often not because of what we've done, but simply because the enemy wants to discourage us. You see, spiritual warfare and evil are real, and our enemy will often use people in our life to bring us down through forms of hate. And as I point all these things out about being hated by the world as a fruit of abiding in Christ, I just want to point out that, yes, this is all very heavy. Like, this is weighty, hard stuff. And if you're not a Christian here today, I really hope this doesn't sound like an attack. But as we'll get into this here in a second, I hope that we'll see this as a plea to trust in Christ, to believe in Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have really, really good news. We have the free gift of being forgiven and loved by God. And I want to call you to trust in Christ today and to find forgiveness. And as I speak about these like hard, weighty things about being hated by the world, I want to just say how incredibly thankful I am that the scriptures do not leave us there. Because yes, we can expect to be hated by the world, but may we never forget what came right before this and right after this. Church, may we not forget that through the gospel, we were made friends with God. We're given the body of Christ to encourage us and to point us to Jesus as a safe space. New City, the scriptures do not heap on the burden of the hatred from the world without leaving us with hope and a helper. Because look what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 26. Jesus says right after all of this, he says, but when the helper comes... 
Church, yes, we may be hated by the world for various reasons, but we're not left in the pits alone with the heaping condemnation from the world. No, Jesus has given us the helper of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given us the counselor and the healer and the comforter. Jesus has promised that he will be with us forever and always until the end of the age. Yes, there are people all over the world that are hated and being persecuted and blacklisted and kicked out of families and losing jobs and friends for following Christ. But may we not forget that these same people are able to call on and understand the helper and the counselor and the healer of the Holy Spirit in an unbelievably new way. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit through our abiding in Jesus, when we're hated by the world, we need to ask, how should the Christian respond? Number two, how should the Christian respond? Because it's one thing to be hated by the world, but the response of the Christian is essential to the entire process. Again, let's make this super clear. Being hated by the world is not a badge of honor that shows you we've been obedient to the Lord because uh, you know what it could mean? We've just been really mean and rude (laughs) and unkind in how we deal with others. No, being hated by the world does not mean we respond with more hate and rudeness and sassiness. No, not at all. When we're hated by the world, we remember who is with us and helping us and empowering us and equipping us. We remember who we're abiding in and who we're resting in and drawing nutrients from. So how do we respond? Look what Jesus says in verse 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, whom proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So how do we respond? We first, as we've already talked about, letter A, we rely on the Holy Spirit's help. As we said, God did not leave us alone. But he gave us a helper in the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth and who will bear witness about Jesus. And so when we're hated by the world, we're given the opportunity for the spirit to help us in those moments. When someone reviles you or speaks poorly of you for being a Christian and you're then able to respond with patience and grace, that's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. When persecution happens to a Christian of any kind, The Spirit is readily accessible. He does not leave us alone. No, He helps us with the helper of the Holy Spirit. You know, several years ago, when I was in Central Asia, I heard a story of a guy that I coached with. I coached basketball. Uh, Well, he he coached a different team, but we were coaching friends. And he was a native to the surrounding area, and he converted from Islam to Christianity. And when this happened, his dad tried to kill him. Like, his dad literally took a knife to his head, held it, to his, held it to his neck, and said, reject Christ or die. And he looked at his dad in that moment, and he said, you can kill me, but I will not reject Christ. And in that moment, his dad dropped the knife, fell on his hands and knees, and began to weep. And I'm not sure if his dad ever became a Christian, but he knew in that moment that his son was serious about his faith and that it was real to him. And how did my friend have the strength to stand up to his dad with a knife in his hand ready to kill him? The Holy Spirit helped him. And and I just want to acknowledge that the Spirit doesn't only help us in those extreme moments, but also in the moments where just hate is expressed in different forms, as we kind of already talked about for us here today. And so not not only do we rely on the Holy Spirit, but also, uh, letter B, we proclaim the gospel. Jesus said in verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit bears witness to him, and then so do we. 
So when we're under persecution or when we're hated or being maligned, just like we saw with my coaching friend, when we proclaim Christ in persecution, it validates our faith and it shows that Jesus is worth it. Again, as we look at the history of missions, the fastest growing churches have always been under the most uh, persecution. Because not only does it show that Jesus is worth withstanding persecution and hatred, but it also gives the opportunity to show a supernatural love that can only come from Jesus. When someone can shame us and persecute us and revile us and be mean to us simply for being a Christian, and we can turn around and show the love of Jesus back and be patient and kind and slow to anger and not only display the gospel, We not only display the gospel, but it gives us the opportunity to proclaim the gospel and share the hope that is within us. It's it's just true that the gospel spreads fastest on the backs of hardship and persecution. And Jesus in our passage today speaks to this, showing that it would happen. Let's keep reading. Look at verses, uh, uh, the, the first four verses of chapter 16. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So in chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus said, I said all these things to keep us from falling away. Jesus told us that we would be hated for the purpose of preparing us to endure. And he said... Uh, They will put us out of synagogues and they will kill you and think that you're doing service to God by killing Christians. We often see that today. So how are Christians to respond when the world hates us? I want to end with this. Let us see we endure with gospel hope. I mean, church, may we not forget that Jesus said all of these things as a call to prepare the disciples and us around the world that persecution and hatred, it will come. And let's not forget that this entire teaching in the upper room was used as a means to comfort the disciples. And so how does he comfort them? He prepares them and us and calls us to endure and to stand firm and to abide in Christ, knowing that we are not alone and that the Spirit is with us and that as we'll see in the weeks to come, our sorrow will turn to joy. The recurring theme just throughout the entire Bible is that God takes what is bitter and makes it sweet. God takes rebels and redeems them. God takes broken sinners and restores them. God takes those that are being hated by the world, and through it, he digs deeper roots in those who abide in Jesus to be, with, to be able to withstand trials with a supernatural joy that can only come from Jesus. Church, the, the, the gospel hope that we have as Christians who will be hated by the world is the cross of Christ that reminds us that the heavenly Father that is with us, holding us, and is preparing a place for us to be with Him in heaven. And not only that, but in His kindness, He has given us the body of, tr- of Christ, the church, to remind each other and to comfort one another, to come around each other. And to help each other and to spur one another on to endure and to remain connected to Christ. Church, there's something incredibly special about a unified body of believers that just love one another and that uh, deeply rely on the power of Jesus with a supernatural hope. That that can withstand the hatred from the world. Y'all, this life is too hard and the enemy is too deceitful for us to say we don't need one another. 
Like God has given us each other His Word and the Spirit as a means just for endurance in our life. New City, if we're abiding in Christ, yes, we will be hated by the world. Dare I even say it's a promise. <laughs> but let's not forget, we have an unshakable hope that comes equipped through, a vine, through the vine of Jesus Christ with all the fruits necessary to withstand everything that the world throws at us. Let's also not forget that during this teaching in the upper room, multiple times, multiple times, Jesus has told the disciples, fear not, let your hearts not be troubled. Fear not, let your hearts not be troubled. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Multiple times. New City, that's, that's our call today. To expect to be hated by the world, but yet rejoice knowing that it comes fully equipped with a joyful, gospel-enduring, and steadfast peace. And in all of it, we remember that Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us to prepare us, to warn us, and to, to, to equip us with hope and a source of joy that comes through abiding in Christ. Yes, we we, we pray that we will be a deeply abiding people that will be able to withstand trials and hardship and hatred from the world. God, we have so much hope. God, I pray that we would be able to endure as we look to the cross, knowing that you endured the cross for us. God, we're not alone. We love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.